Greetings to all of you that watch online. This is the 1130 service of the Hills at the North Richmond Hills campus. And I'm thrilled that you have joined us. Now, every preacher believes Easter Sunday is the greatest and most important Sunday of the year. But the next two most important Sundays are Mother's Day and Father's Day. And for some reason, Mother's Day seems to get a lot more attention. But this year, on Father's Day, we have the final round of the U.S. Open Golf Championship and Game 7 of the NBA Finals. This just might be the greatest Father's Day in history. So listen, everybody. You give your dad what he wants more than anything else today. The remote. Make that happen. Okay? And dads, thank you. Now, not thank you for being a dad. Thank you for being a dad at church. You may not have an idea of how important that is. The research is conclusive. Perhaps no single factor more impacts the future of a child's spiritual development than a dad who pursues Jesus. Dads who don't go to church and don't pursue Jesus rarely produce kids that do. So, Dad, you're at church. Thank you. Make it a habit. Keep it up. Well done. Because, you see, Christians do things. That's the premise of this series, adverbs. The word Christian is never used in the Bible as an adjective. It's always used as a noun. And nouns need verbs. So we have been using the book of James as a platform to search for verbs that we need to add to our faith. We've looked at verbs like do and love and submit. But what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What does faith do when there's nothing to do? That's when you need to add the most needed verb of all. And James mentions it in chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So there was a well-known preacher in the 1800s named Phillips Brooks. And he had a reputation of being a very mild-mannered person. So people were surprised one day to find him particularly irritable. And when he was asked why, he said, Because I'm in a hurry. And God isn't. And we've all been there. Because we suffer from weight loss. Now, that's true, especially in our culture. You have traveled to other parts of the world and noticed some cultures wait well, but we don't. Our culture in particular bows down to a God named now. 
And we see our false worship of this God manifested in many arenas. Probably some of the worst financial decisions you've ever made were the worship of now and the idea that you could get rich quick. We see it in our obsession with sports. If you get hired to coach a team today, nobody wants to hear of your five-year building plan. You better be winning in season two or you're going to get fired. So many of the ethics problems we have seen at the professional and collegiate level are due to the intense pressure we put on coaches to win now. We see it in our politics. We are so blessed to live in a country where we get to vote. And have a voice in the policy of our nation. And you need to vote. You need to be studying the candidates at every level. I hope what you believe about Jesus forms your politics. Just like it should form every other part of your life. But then we fuss about politicians. And we're part of the problem. We encourage them to lie to us. Because we vote for people who tell us they can fix it fast. We vote for people who know they're lying. When they say, just elect me and I'll solve it now. We even see it at church. We think we can come to Sundays and a problem we've had for 20 years will just go away. That somebody can give us a program and we'll just have instant spirituality. We even want church service to be fast. I've seen people almost get in fights trying to cut each other off in the parking lot after church. I never understood why I give an invitation for people to receive Jesus and have eternal salvation and people get up and start walking out. Where are you going that's so important you can't wait for five minutes to see if someone gets saved? Now, you're not going to do that today, are you? (laughs) One time I'm preaching and a guy gets up to leave and I said, where are you going? He said, to get a haircut. I said, why didn't you get your haircut before you came? He said, I didn't need one before I came. We want everything to be fast. And I'm going to give you a test to show you that we all struggle with symptoms of hurry sickness. So you're in your car and you see a red light coming. It's two lanes and there is one car in each lane at the red light. Before you get there, do you surmise which car will likely leave the quickest and pull into that lane? You're at the grocery store. You've only got a few things. So you're going to go to the express lane. It says 15 items or less and someone gets there right in front of you. And you count how many items are in their cart to make sure they're in the right line. Or we've all done this. The grocery store is packed. We get our cart. There's a long line at every counter. So we look and we pick the line that we think is going to be the fastest. And we've all done that. But while you're in that line, do you keep track mentally of where you would have been in the other line to see if it got there earlier? See, we are all sicker than we think. There's a reason that Perk Plus became the fastest selling shampoo in America. They had the brilliant idea of why take all the time to shampoo and rinse and condition and rinse when you can just shampoo and condition at once. There's a reason why Domino's Pizza became the fastest growing pizza chain in America. Their CEO said, we don't sell pizza. We sell convenience. And if you've eaten their pizza, you know he's telling the truth. (laughs) But is... Our allegiance to quicker making us better. Does our worship of saving time save our souls? And I don't just mean eternally. I mean 
Is there something corrosive that's happening inside when we worship the God of now? Isn't it interesting that in this text about patience, James refers to grumbling. He talks about be patient, don't grumble, be patient. Why does he do that? You know why. Because waiting makes us frustrated. And when we're frustrated, we start griping and blaming people. Like the story of the mama putting her son to bed at night saying, Now tomorrow morning mom's going to the doctor, so daddy's going to drive you to school. Oh, mama, I don't like it when daddy drives you to school. Honey, I can't do it. And besides, your dad's a good driver. Why don't you like it? Mama, every time daddy takes me to school, there's so many more idiots on the road. (laughs) You see, when we don't add weight, we subtract some very important things. There was a powerful study at Stanford University some years ago where they took preschoolers in a room at a table and they put a marshmallow on it. and said, now, you can have that marshmallow right now, but if you'll just wait a few minutes, you can have two marshmallows. Most of the children couldn't do it. That's not what's interesting. They studied those kids all the way through graduation and high school, and here's what they found. The children that could wait did better in school, were more confident, they handled stress better, and were able to resist peer pressure better. Patience is a good thing. But nobody wants to pray for it. You know why? Because the only way you can learn patience is to be in situations where you need it. But here's the thing. You're going to be in those situations whether you pray or not. You are going to be in situations where waiting is unavoidable. Listen to me. In those times, Satan will always show up to offer a quick fix. So you've been waiting for pledged and committed intimacy. And you're lonely. You can wake up tomorrow morning in the bed of somebody you barely know. There's always a quick fix. You really want it, but you can't afford it. But you can pull out a credit card and have it now. And go deeper and deeper into bondage. You need to wrestle with some demons, some personal demons. Or you can just go buy a bottle or get some more pills and numb the pain. There's always a quick fix. Your marriage is struggling. You could do the hard, slow, steady work of repair. Or you can just walk away and feel better for a moment. There's always a quick fix. So, when my youngest Matthew turned 15, he got his learner's permit. At that time, the chief road to get to our neighborhood was two lanes. And as you got closer to the neighborhood, the speed limit decreased. 
It had rained. The roads were wet. I was telling Matthew to be careful. He was doing a great job driving well. There were cars about 50 yards ahead of us when suddenly some guy pulls up behind us and starts honking his horn. We're not going fast enough, even though Matthew's going the speed limit. I don't know where he thinks he's going to go. I don't know what he thinks he's going to do when the speed limit decreases. But he just keeps honking his horn. And Matthew has not had this experience before. He looks at me and says, Dad, what do I do? I said, son, don't ever let anyone intimidate you into going faster than you ought to go. And I realized later, I had given him good advice about more than just driving. You see, God specializes in weight gain. It always goes back to what kind of God do we believe in? He's the I am. He is the God for whom nothing's impossible. So you're not dealing with anything right now that God couldn't resolve immediately. You're not going through any kind of delay due to some deficit on God's part. So why does God slow cook when we want Him to microwave? And here's why. Because God cares more about your character than He does about your comfort. And every parent listening to me right now knows you do not build character instantly. So I'm in the mall and I see this sign that says ears pierced while you wait. And I thought, is there another way to do that? Do you take off your ears, give them and say, you pierce these while I'm gone. When I come back, I'll get them back. No, some things you can only do through waiting. Like grow character. And that's why if you're a good father, you would never give your child everything they want as soon as they want it. Because you know it would produce spoiled, bratty immaturity in them. And we have a good father who will let us go through temporary pain for eternal gain. So the Bible says He can do more than we ask, but it never says He will do all that we ask. Because He cares more about your character than He does about your comfort. And He knows that decreasing your weight will not increase your Christ-likeness. James says this earlier in the book, chapter 1. You know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let it grow. Why? Because when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. In other words, you'll attain maturity. It's even more clear in Romans 5. We also have joy with our troubles because we know that these troubles produce patience. And patience produces character. 
And character produces hope. So I'm going to let you in on a secret you already know. You're not in control. There are so many things going on in your life right now that you cannot control. You don't get to choose all your circumstances. You always get to choose your response. And sometimes you just need to add some weight. And what James does is give us some posters of patience to put on the wall to inspire us to wait well. Like the farmer and like the prophets and like Job. Let's look at each one for just a moment. The farmer teaches us to wait actively. Wait's not a passive verb. Wait doesn't mean do nothing. So I read this amazing article in New York Times last year. That the airport in Houston was getting a lot of complaints from people waiting too long at baggage claim. So they responded by hiring more baggage handlers. And they cut the wait from when you get off your plane to when you get your bag down to eight minutes, which is below the industry standard. They still kept getting a lot of complaints. And they realized why. People were getting to the baggage claim in just a minute and waiting seven to get their bags. So... You know what they did to solve the problem? They moved baggage claim further away. They make you walk farther to get there so that when you get there, your bag is there and you're happy. And there was a person in the article who is a professor at MIT that is literally a world expert on waiting in lines. And his research has shown that how long you wait is not the issue. It's what you do while you wait that really matters. Patience is active waiting. It's doing what you can while you wait for God to do what you can't. And the farmers understand this. James said, now consider the farmers who are waiting for God to send the rain. Does that mean they've been doing nothing? No, they tilled the ground. They planted the seed. They fertilized. They did what they could do while they waited for what only God could do. This is what David means in Psalm 37. You be still in the presence of the Lord and you wait patiently for Him to act. This doesn't mean you don't do anything. David isn't saying do nothing. David is saying you trust in God when it seems like He's doing nothing. Because some of you have grown up in farms. You understand. You prepare for that harvest. You can't just plant one day and get a crop the next day. You do what you can do. But you don't get discouraged when you don't see anything happening. You trust that a harvest is coming even when you can't see it. Waiting actively is an exercise in faith. I didn't know this until I read it recently about bamboo farmers in China and Malaysia. They plant that seed, they water it, they fertilize it. The first year, they don't see anything. The second year, they water and they fertilize, they don't see anything. The third year and the fourth year, they water and fertilize and there is nothing. The fifth year, a sprout breaks the surface of the ground and a tree will go 90 feet in 30 days. But for four years, that farmer has to do what he can do. And believe that something good is happening, even though he can't see it. So, 
right now, in some part of your life, there's something you want to see happen, and it's not happening. What do you need to be doing while you wait on the Lord to do what only He can do? Do you remember in Acts 16, Paul wants to go to Asia, and the Spirit says no. Well, he doesn't just get into a rocking chair and pout. He tries to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit said no again. So he just kept moving. He goes down to Troas. He has a vision, and the gospel goes to Europe. So when you're waiting on the Lord, you're putting yourself in position to respond. You never waste a good wait. And that's where the prophets help us, by teaching us to wait purposefully. James says, consider the prophets. You know how they had to suffer. And by the way, the New Testament mentions the suffering of the prophets 11 Times. You can't miss the point. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. But isn't it true that the people who have inspired you the most in your life are not the people who always had it easy? They are the people. Who didn't quit when it was hard. Look at the wall. There's a poster of the prophets, James says. Look at the end of verse 10. You take those old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything. They went through everything and never once quit. All the time honoring God. And the reason their message has endured is because they did. They never quit on God because they knew God's love would never quit on them. You see, waiting demands banking on the goodness of God. Ooh, I just said a mouthful. So I'm going to say it again. If you're going to become a good waiter, you are going to have to deeply be convinced that God is good. So I'm a little boy, and something begins to grow on my side. They called it a boil. I had no idea what it was. All I knew was I had never hurt that bad in my life. You couldn't even lift T-shirt or begin to touch my side that I couldn't just convulse in pain. They took me to a hospital. The doctor couldn't even help me because I couldn't stay still. It hurt so bad. And the doctor called for my dad. You see, I have a good father. And my father walked in and he physically held me still. But I knew if my father wants me to endure this, it will be good. We have a good father. David says we wait in hope for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. Even as we put our hope in you. Listen, 
You will fail as a waiter unless you're convinced God's love never fails. When you know you have a good father, then you start to look for a good purpose. And instead of saying, why me? You start saying, what God? Do you want me to do with this? Not why God, but what God? What can I do with this? See, God may not be doing something to you. But I can tell you, God is always trying to do something through you. And someday, God is going to do something for you if you wait well. Again, James says back in the first chapter, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And so we wait expectantly. And here's where Job helps us. You know, it's one thing to wait and you know why you have to wait. It's another thing to wait and you have no clue. Job didn't know what was going on. He lost everything. But he didn't quit on God. James says, you've heard of Job's perseverance. And have seen what the Lord finally brought about. And the Lord finally, and that's a hard word to wait for. But finally, the Lord brought about deliverance. And Job was rewarded for waiting well, because James says the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And that's why we're still waiting. You know that, don't you? God's mercy is why we're still waiting for Jesus to come back. God is patient because He still has some lost children to find. And God is more patient with you than He has ever asked you to be patient with someone else. But that doesn't make it easy. Waiting is hard. Especially when we have weeks like this last one. Every day we picked up the paper and thought, how long, Lord? A sweet family goes to Florida for their dream vacation. And they'll not bring their little boy home. Fifty people are murdered. And you read things like that and it's not a time for editorials. It's time just to weep. And to hug somebody. And to say, how long? And part of what makes this so hard is that evil doesn't let up. Do you really think if we just elect the right person or pass the right law, evil is going to go away? But we have a good father. And he made a promise. 
So when my oldest, Michael, was six, we started the journey of organized sports, and he joined a little soccer team. And after his first game, I had said, now, Michael, you stay right here, and when the game is over, Daddy will come get you. The parents were on the other side of the field. The game was over. You shook a few hands. I walked around the field, and Michael was gone. And every parent knows the panic that sets in as we began a frantic search that finally resulted in Michael being a couple of fields away. And Michael, where did you go? Why did you leave? Well, Daddy, the game was over and I couldn't find you, so I left. And I said, Michael, when Daddy says you wait, he will always come. You never have to wonder and you never have to leave. If Daddy says He's coming. He will never break that promise. And our Father has made a promise. He's coming. Evil does not get the last word. Paul said in Romans 8, We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Yes, we learn to wait with expectation. We learn to interpret life through the lens of hope. Uh, Many of you have heard of Joni Erickson Tata, wonderful Christian writer and speaker. Tragically, as a teenager, she was paralyzed from the neck down because of a diving accident, became a paraplegic. That comes with its own set of issues, one of which is Joni cannot feel a bruise or an abrasion that could be life-threatening. She's taught herself just a sense when her pulse has quickened. And she has an assistant named Francie who will come in, take off all her clothes, roll her on the floor like a doll and check her body for possible problems. You can imagine how humiliating this is. This was a week when she had to do this three different times. And Joni was tired. And finally she looked up at the ceiling and she just screamed, I want to quit this! Where can I go to resign from this stupid paralysis? And Francie dressed her, walked out of the room, and then put her head back in the door and said, I bet you can't wait for the resurrection. And she only began to tear up, but it wasn't sadness, it was joy. As all the scripture she had stored in her heart came to mind, like that which is sown imperishable will rise imperishable. When we see Him, We will be like Him. We have an inheritance kept for us that can never perish or spoil or fade. And she just began to say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So I want to show you again the very first verse I read to you a moment ago. And highlight my favorite word in that verse. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. 
So one of my best friends is named Chris Seban. He's preached here before. We share many passions. We love the church. We love the Lord. We love to preach. We love our families. We love golf. And we love food. And we try to keep it in that order. And uh, two weeks ago, he took me to a golf course in Dallas. And it was hot and hilly. And by the time we had walked it, I was tired and I was famished and I was thirsty. And he said, I've got this new place I found to take you to eat. So he took me to this place. And as I'm walking up, there's a line out the door. I said, Chris, I don't want to wait in line. I'm too hungry and thirsty. Oh, but just wait until we get inside. So we stood and I grumbled, I'll admit it, and said, can't we go somewhere else? No, just wait until we get our food. And we got our food. It was amazing. I got brisket and fried chicken and squash and beans. I know some of you are thinking eating like that is going to kill you. You're right, and I'm going to die happy. (laughs) Who wants to be 95 if all you can have is carrots? You see, until is worth the wait. And no matter what you're dealing with right now, God has put an until on it. I was thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness. Heaven's going to be full of all these things. But then I thought about patience. Will we need patience in heaven? Because the wait is over. And until won't be necessary anymore. Someday Jesus is going to return and he's going to shout enough. But this day, Jesus says... My grace is enough. And you never have to wait to ask for more grace. So would you bow your head, please? Why don't you just present your weight before the Lord? He already knows what it is. It could be your health. It could be your finances, it could be somebody you really love and they just won't let you fix them. But whatever it is, here's what I want you to do. Ask for more grace. Ask for more grace to wait well. Oh, God, you're such a good father. You didn't quit on us when you had every right to do so. You have been so patient. Help us to look like our dad. Help us to be more like you. Help us to wait in a way that shows Jesus to the world. For His sake, we ask this. Amen.
Would you all stand, please? If you're on our prayer team upstairs or down, will you take your place right now? Now, I don't want to contradict myself, but there's one thing you never wait to do. And that's to answer the prompting of the Holy Spirit to come to Jesus. And so if God's moving in your heart right now, don't take three weeks to think about it. Right now, today is a day for salvation. Right now, this moment is a time to come while we worship the Lord.